is a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to an early church, this young community that lived uh, in the Roman province of Asia Minor. And I'm going to read um, beginning again in verse 1, and I know we've already looked at those verses and some of the other verses, but I'm going to, just to give us context, our text for this morning will be verses 9 to 14. Uh, but I'm going to begin and read uh, from the beginning of the chapter. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And our text for today, beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this prayer that we have from your servant, the Apostle Paul, these words that are rich in meaning and in power, uh, we come to you in prayer and ask for your help. We ask for your help to understand these words that we have here. We ask for your help to be changed by these words. We pray that we would be caught up into the desire that Paul expresses here in this passage and transformed by it. That will only happen by the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. And so we ask for that work among us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to poll the room this morning with this question, what makes a leader great? I would get a number of different answers, but my guess is that one common answer is that a great leader is a person with vision. A great leader is a man or woman who has a dream for the future towards which they lead other people. One of the goals that I want for this series, as we consider the letter to the Colossian church, is that I want us as a community to place ourselves in the hands of a great leader. I want us to place ourselves under this man named the Apostle Paul, 
This man called by God to be a defining, shaping influence for the Christian church. I want us to give ourselves to his leadership. And that as he leads this early Christian community to be in Christ in Colossae, to let him lead us to be in Christ where we are. And like any great leader, Paul is the man of vision. He is a man with dreams for what he wants to see in us, in the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it is. And we find his dreams here in this prayer in verses 9 to 14. This is the vision of Paul for not only the Colossian community, but for Centerpoint Church. This is what he wants in us. This is his dream. This is his vision. And so I want us to consider this verses this morning, this text, and ask a couple of questions. First of all, what's the vision? And second of all, how does it happen? What's the vision? And how does it happen? First of all, what is the vision? What is the dream that Paul has for the church wherever she exists? Well, it's pretty clear from the outset that Paul wants us to have knowledge. This is a vision of knowledge. He says in verse 9, I want you to have the knowledge of God's will. And then he says at the end of verse 10, I want you to know God. I want you to increase in your knowledge of God. And it's important to realize and recognize that this knowledge that Paul talks about here and throughout the letter to the Colossians is not merely an academic knowledge. Paul's vision is not that we would memorize facts so that we can get an A on the test on Friday. He wants a deeper knowledge. He wants a different knowledge than that. And we can see that in the words that he connects to the word knowledge in verse 9. So he says, I want you to have knowledge, but what else does he want us to have? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. And when we hear these three words together, it should trigger for us the book of Proverbs. These words together should trigger for us the book of Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Because these three words dominate that literature. That literature calls us to a life of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And what those books teach us is that to have wisdom and knowledge and understanding is to have not just the memorization of some concepts, but to have a skill. To have these things is to have the skill of godly living. To have this kind of knowledge is to know God and His world in a way that teaches us how to live out God's will in that world. It is to know God in a way that we do what He wants. So that as Paul in Colossians connects us to the desire for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we see in Proverbs and in the Old Testament, what he wants for us is a relationship with God, not as a lecturer, where God stands in the front of the classroom and talks at us. He wants to create for us a relationship with God as a coach. He was on the field teaching us how to play the game. 
or as a father who's showing us how to change a flat tire. Paul's vision for us is an apprenticing relationship with the Creator so that we live out the Creator's design for His creation. Now why should we want that? Why does Paul want that kind of knowledge for us? Well, because of what it produces. Because of the kind of life that that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding produces. Verse 10, he says, If you have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, then you will be able to do what? To walk in a manner pleasing to God and to bear fruit. The image of walking also connects us to the book of Proverbs. Where the dominant image of what it means to have wisdom is the ability to walk a path. To put one foot in front of another towards a good life. Towards a life that God looks at and says, that is beautiful. That is according to my design. You are able to walk in that way. The image of bearing fruit is found in Proverbs also, but it is an image that goes further back than the book of Proverbs in the Bible. It is an image that goes all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis when God makes Adam and Eve and he says to them, what is the first thing he says to them? This is who you are. This is what it means to be human. To do what? To be fruitful. So understand the significance of Paul's vision here. He wants us to have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that we can walk and bear fruit. And in that vision... He wants for us nothing less than God's intention for what it means to be human. He wants for us the fullness of life that God made us for. This is no small goal. Paul longs for us the life of Eden. A life free from anxiety, from anger, from selfishness, from oppression and abuse and addictions that will destroy us. Paul wants a life of that kind of freedom that although we don't live in Eden, it sure looks like we do. Because we live free from all that destroys God's intention for us. So when Paul wants us to increase the knowledge, he wants us to grow towards that kind of life. Do you share his ambition? Do you share his ambition for yourself? Do you share his ambition for those who are sitting around you this morning? Bob Rotella is a sports psychologist. He works with a lot of elite golfers. And one of my golfer I'm not a golfer, so one of my golfer friends told me about him. And when he is deciding to take a new client on, he's gotten to the point that he doesn't have to take everybody as a coach. He gets to choose who he wants to take on as a coach. And when he takes on a client, he looks for one thing and one thing only. He does not look for physical skill. He does not look for past success. He looks for one thing. He says, when I look for a client, I look for dreams. I look for someone who has an outsized ambition 
for themselves and for what they want to accomplish in this game. Paul here, as he prays, wants to give us an outsized ambition. He wants us to long for a life that is better than we can currently imagine. He wants us to have large dreams for ourselves, for this community, for Christ's church in this city and around the world. Do you share that ambition? What are the size of your dreams for yourself, for your friendships, for your family, for this church community? I want to take the implications of this in two directions. The first direction is this. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus or you're struggling with the Christian faith, there is a perception that the Christian faith reduces what it means to be human. That the Christian faith makes us less human beings because of its restrictions. But would you let this passage challenge that perception and realize that at least for this important leader in the movement of Christianity, Christianity does not make us less human, it makes us more so. It renews us to the full intention that our Creator longs and designs us for. Our faith does not make us less human, it makes us more so, and we should want that. And that brings me to the second direction that I want to go. And I want to talk to those who are believers, and particularly those who are part of this church community. I want to be honest with you for something that I see in us. And by us, I mean me. I see that we too often settle for cynicism instead of ambition. When it comes to transformation in our lives, in our friendships, in our families, in our church community and around our church community, we too often settle for easy cynicism rather than huge ambition that Paul wants for us here. And that cynicism, you know, it, it comes from a real place. It comes from the place of struggle and failure that if we are honest with ourselves and if we attempted to walk with Jesus for any time, we know it. We know the struggle. We know acutely our weaknesses and our failures. And this vision that Paul offers to us does not ignore that. It's not dishonest about the reality of weakness and failure. He says later in the passage, you'll need endurance. You will need patience. This doesn't happen all at once. This doesn't happen easily without struggle but you should still want it to happen. You should still long for a life wherein you walk in a way that pleases God, that fits with His good design. You should still long for a life that is fruitful, a life that produces love, a life that produces peace and kindness and compassion and service to those around you. You should long for that kind of life, and you should long for those characteristics to characterize the life of this community. 
We should want that. Our ambitions need to be as large as God's good creation that we read about before sin entered into the world. We should want Eden. And for many of us in this room this morning, we need to let this text teach us to want more. Now, some of you hear that, and it's inspiring. You feel inspired. And you're probably under 30. Um, <laughs> the rest of us hear that, and we're, we're just tired. Right? It makes us tired. It's just such a weight. This ambition, these huge dreams. And I think both responses, whether you're inspired or you're tired, in response to that, forces us into a second question. How? So whether we want this vision or this vision exhausts us this morning, how does it happen? How does this crazy dream that Paul has for the church, how does that happen in us? Well, I think it's, it's obvious that it, it, it will only happen when we have some unique abilities. We need some unique abilities to accomplish this type of flourishing life. And so Paul prays for us, as he goes on in his prayer past verse 10, he prays for us in verse 11 that we would have strength with power according to the glorious might of God. He prays for us power. And understand that as he prays for power, he is praying for the power of Exodus. He is praying for the power of of Exodus. What do I mean by that? Why do I say that? Well, remember the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament. It's a defining, shaping story of the Bible, one of the most important. God's people in slavery in Egypt. God miraculously intervenes on their behalf and does what? He redeems them from slavery. He delivers them from the oppression of Pharaoh and his army. And he eventually brings them into the land that he had promised to them. The Old Testament calls that land their inheritance. So the reason I say that when Paul prays for power, he prays for Exodus power, is because if you keep reading beyond verse 11 and verses 12, 13, and 14, you will find those verses full of the language of Exodus. He says in verse 12, you have been what? Qualified for an inheritance. Verse 13. You have been what? Delivered. From the kingdom of darkness. Into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And in God's beloved son, verse 14. What do we have? Redemption. Freedom from slavery. So understand this. The connection is this. The point is. For this vision to happen, this vision of knowledge and power, walking and bearing fruit, for that to happen, God must retell the story of Exodus in the people that belong to Jesus. And it must be a deeper Exodus. An Exodus not from the power of Pharaoh, but an Exodus from the power of sin, which is what keeps us from the life of Eden. 
which is what destroys in us the kingdom of darkness, destroys in us the ability to have God's intention for our life. So for us to have this vision, we must be liberated. God has to tell the story of Exodus one more time. And what's beautiful about the way this text works is that story is not in doubt. It's not as if Paul says, you need to to have this story happen, and it might happen, or it might not. He doesn't pray for power, the power of the Exodus, and say you might get it, but you might not. No, did you notice the shift in language after verse 11? So verses 9 to 11, it's all, here are the things that I want. I want these things to happen. Beginning in verse 12, what does the language become? Not, I want these things to happen, but these things have already happened. You have been qualified. It's done. You have been delivered. It's done. You have been redeemed by the forgiveness of sin. It is done because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. So understand, what needs to happen to accomplish the vision of a fruitful life has already happened. Through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ministry of Jesus. God has already told the story of the new exodus. So we will have knowledge and power that enables us to walk and bear fruit because we already have been qualified, delivered, redeemed in Jesus. We have in Jesus all that we need for this huge ambition for our lives and for our community. This dream is not a possibility that we realize by our effort. This dream is a reality that we access by faith. And here's the difference that makes. Okay? Here's the difference that makes. Florida State football fans. Alright? The difference that that makes is... It's the difference between the uncertainty of watching this past season in real time and the certainty of re-watching that season, which I know some of you will do, re-watching that season after what happened on January 6th. It is the difference between uncertainty and certainty. You see, Paul gives us a goal here, and it is a goal way bigger than a national championship. And it is a goal that comes with certainty. Not because of the victories that we will win, but because of the victory that Jesus has won for us. And so be ambitious. Be ambitious. We must have a huge vision for our lives and for our community. Be ambitious. Why? Why can we be ambitious? 
because the story has been told. When we understand that the story has been told in Jesus, then we can be ambitious without it exhausting us, overwhelming us, or deluding us into arrogance. Because our ambition flows not from what we can accomplish, but from what God has already accomplished in His Son Jesus. The ambition comes from the sure and certain story of freedom that Jesus makes us a part of by His grace. So Paul, this great leader, he has a vision for us. But do you notice how he states that vision? We haven't talked about this yet, but do you notice how Paul proclaims his huge ambition for the church? He expresses his desire with dependence. Right? He doesn't proclaim his vision with an inspiring speech. He dreams with prayer. Why? Because he understands that this is an impossible dream. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding that teaches us to walk and bear fruit. Impossible. Unless it is connected by faith to the unsurpassed power of the gospel. Unless that desire is connected in dependence to the story that God has told in His Son, Jesus. It is impossible, but prayer connects us to the impossible. Because we open our hands and we open our hearts and say, I long for this. I long for a fruitful life. But I can't produce it. Only Jesus... And the renewing work that he has done through his death and resurrection can produce that life. Let's join Paul in his dreams as a church, as families, as individuals, as friends. Let's join Paul in this dream that he has for our lives. And let's also join him in prayer as we give ourselves to the power of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.